0: We are back with the 12th episode of the HubScale podcast. Now, this week is slightly different from my usual guests. We have Michael Cortez, a partner at YL Ventures, a venture capital firm with a sole focus on investment in early stage cybersecurity startups out of Israel. I am very excited about this one. Michael, it's great to have you on. Hey, thanks, Elliot. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no problem at all. No problem. And I guess so. everybody listening who doesn't know uh, Michael Cortez, could you give a quick introduction to yourself? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I'm a partner here at Wild Ventures.
1: I've been here about three and a half years now. Uh, I focus a lot on business development issues uh, for the firm, for both ourselves as a firm, for Wild Ventures, as well as for our portfolio companies. There's a really big emphasis here on kind of strategic and tactical support for early stage go-to-market activities for all of our portcos. And so I run a lot of that. Um, you know, I also serve kind of a board observer roles for many of our portfolio companies, financial analysis, pipeline support, executive recruiting, fundraising strategy, uh, heavily involved in the pre-investment process as well, working with our team in Israel due diligence, industry research, kind of helping identify what we think are going to be the next big cybersecurity startups. Uh, And I also work extensively with our Venture Advisory
0: Board of CISOs around the U.S. and around the world. Awesome. No, that's uh, that's absolutely fantastic. And I know you and I have been, been probably acquainted <laughs> for a year and a half or so, but no, it's uh, it's amazing to see your your journey as well. So I guess diving into YL Ventures, um obviously specific focus on cybersecurity, Israeli backed uh individuals. So just give us a quick intro to YL.
1: Yeah, happy to. So I like to describe YL as sort of having a dual center of gravity or sort of a dual geographic focus. We've got offices here at Silicon Valley where I'm based, but Also in Tel Aviv, we manage five different funds, uh, $800 in total assets under management. And we're really focused on kind of one thing. So really finding and supporting, you know, really talented, brilliant Israeli cybersecurity entrepreneurs from even before they landed on an idea, um, you know, all the way up into including kind of an IPO. So we really have a singular and really disciplined strategy. It's exclusively in Israeli seed stage cybersecurity startups. And we leverage really what we think is an industry-leading kind of value-add platform in-house, uh, really multidisciplinary uh, professionals and a large network of experts, you know, CISOs, InfoSec, privacy people all across the world to really kind of support, uh, you know, those portfolio companies' growth and success. Um, we have, uh, like I said, five funds in total, uh, $800 million total management. We're, we're investing now out of our fifth fund. And we really have kind of a core belief that, you know, it's never too early to start investing in really strong teams with with viable and innovative ideas. So we like to get involved with people as early as possible. We like to say it's never too early to start talking with Wild Ventures. And we're really trying to help kind of really talented founders grow little kernels of ideas in cybersecurity into, you know, industry or or category, certainly category leading companies. Um, We, uh, I guess maybe a couple of companies that you guys might've heard of, just sort of noting our, our kind of track record here. Um, companies like Axonius, Orca Security, and then a few high-profile acquisitions you may have heard of, companies like Twistlock, which was acquired by Palo Alto Networks, Hexadite, acquired by Microsoft, Uh, Metagate, a company I worked very closely with, acquired by Clarity earlier this year. And then we've got a whole
0: portfolio that that I'd be happy to talk about of, uh, of really promising earlier stage companies as well. Yeah, no, it sounds very exciting, very exciting. And notable ones there like Exonius and Orca Security, they're they're awesome, awesome vendors as well, just like the the rest of the portfolio. So now just diving into that then, um, how does Wild Ventures support their portfolio companies?
1: Yeah, great question. So I, I like to think about it in, I guess, several different buckets, but fundamentally, you know, all the different kind of buckets of support, as I alluded to earlier, this sort of multidisciplinary approach they all kind of serve the same purpose, right? Which is, you know, essentially helping a really talented team with a really great idea, build a product, find a product market fit, you know, come over to the U S find their first few design partners, convert those to paying customers and really set the foundation, you know, kind of for long-term success. So everything we do is kind of focused with that, that one goal in mind. But as I mentioned, you know, I think that there are several different kind of categories to that. So first you know, I can talk about this as near and dear to my heart, because it's what I spent a lot of my time doing is sort of customers and business development. So, you know, we have a US based team uh, of experts here on the investment team that work alongside me that really connect our founders with potential design partners, early customers. And importantly, this happens even uh, before investing. So, you know, we've got a venture advisory board now, of, I think 115 plus CISOs around the world. And we're having them talk to these people, you know, even before we've made an investment decision. So those kind of kernels of who are going to be the design partners, what is the MVP going to look like? Those are starting to really take shape, you know, even before we make an investment decision. And we do that because, you know, it kind of helps us prove out, you know, the ideas and prove out the team. And also regardless of the investment decision we make, we want to be, you know, beneficial to the cybersecurity community. And we think that putting, you know, really smart men and women in front of you know, potential buyers or design partners is just kind of good for the ecosystem as a whole. So, so we're more than happy to do that. Um, you know, I would say on average, you know, more than half of our portfolio companies, early customers are sourced directly through our network. And in some cases, it's many more than that. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. So, and, and also, you know, apart from just the introductions, it's kind of helping them through the process, right? So go to market strategies, POC scoping, working through procurement for the first time, what should your pricing model look like, et cetera. So there's a lot of focus on customers in BD. Um, the second bucket is really on marketing. So we have an incredibly talented marketing team based in Tel Aviv that function as both you know, in-house marketing for YL, but more importantly, you know, they kind of help our early stage companies through those critical initial marketing and branding stages and a lot with PR. So whenever there's a launch or a new product or a follow-on financing or something like that, they're really doing a lot to kind of get the, the word out there. As a lot of our companies are kind of in, in greenfield spaces, they're trying to kind of create new categories. And frankly, it's not really, um, most of the time, it's not really a core skill set of cybersecurity founders, you know, being able to kind of do that marketing frame, you know, positioning messaging work. And so, you know, we're really proud of the help that we do, both from, you know, pre-launch, post-launch and ongoing. So it's, it could be things like helping with campaigns, you know, lead gen, but also just kind of messaging and and creating content. Uh, another bucket is around HR. So this is another kind of key focus for early stage startups is how do you find, really talented people to join your team you know how do you kind of convince them that that it's going to kind of be worth it and so you know we have a uh hr expert who's amazing based in tel aviv that really helps with a lot of kind of the core you know engineering roles ux ui roles etc that are going to be based there and then we also work really closely with a number of amazing recruiting firms (laughs) uh, that are kind of based around the rest of the world that kind of help our companies with things like go-to-market leadership so helping find you know a salesperson an in-house marketing person sales engineers, BDRs, et cetera. And so, um, you know, as the company grows, you know, we kind of adapt what, you know, what we're kind of helping with from an HR standpoint to kind of where they're at in terms of their maturity. But I think that that's a critical part as well. And then the last two things I'll mention, I think are kind of go hand in hand. One is our CISO in residence program. So we have an amazing CISO in residence now named Frank Kim. We've had uh, four, I think he's our fourth person since we piloted this program around the time that I joined. So we started with a man named Roger Hale, who's amazing. Uh, then we had Sunil Yu. Uh, most recently, Ryan Gurney. And now Frank Kim. So really, all of them, you know, luminaries in the cybersecurity world, amazingly helpful. And to be able to have an in-house CISO who can, you know, kind of help working with work, working with our portfolio companies pre and post investment in a really hands-on way is, I think, really differentiating and, and really, really important. And then that dovetails with you know our venture advisory board. So I mentioned this earlier, but this was launched in 2018. If I remember correctly, and now it's expanded to about 115 CISOs, Chief Privacy Officers, um, et cetera, kind of all around the world, at all different types of companies, different stages, different sizes, different industries, and that's uh, obviously a source for you know early design partners for customer feedback, helping shape the MVP. But it's also a source for just kind of advice, feedback, you know, as companies are growing, developing, you know, get them together every two weeks. I do these things called office hours you know, we were really just trying to kind of bring these two communities together. We view our role, I guess, as sort of being the um, the connected tissue, you know, between sort of the, the customer market, uh, large enterprises in the United States, and then, you know, is brilliantly talented men and women
0: working on, you know, cutting edge problems in cybersecurity at Tel Aviv. Yeah, no, honestly, that sounds sounds so exciting. You're bringing, bringing a community together as well. I guess just kind of taking it back a little bit, because obviously that's, you offer a lot to, to cybersecurity startups at that stage. Does it differ? Um, I mean, does some companies want more of them solutions you're talking about there, or is it kind of one package solution for everybody?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I would say it it does differ, although um, all of our portfolio companies avail themselves of each of those buckets to one degree or another. I think a lot of it is a function of the different skill sets and the previous experience of the founders, you know, what they're good at, what they feel most confident in. Um, and then where they maybe need more support, and I think it, there's a little bit of it that's a function of you know what kind of subset within cybersecurity they're focused on. So I would say broad strokes, you know, all of our companies, you know, leverage all of these different parts of our value add program. But just to give you one example, you know, if we're working with you know a second time founder or a team that's you know kind of done this before that's built up you know early startup, they might need less help you know, getting off the ground, right. Kind of in the early stages, they kind of know, maybe they have, for example, HR, maybe they have a really strong team of people from their previous company that they know they're going to bring alongside. So for their first 15 employees, they've already got them earmarked. They've already got them kind of, you know, identified. And so they need kind of less help on that front. So that could be one example where, you know, depending on where they're coming from and what their skill set are, they might need more or less help. So I would say um, all of them do
0: all of it, but. To different degrees, again, depending on the profile of the founders and the company. Yeah, no, for sure. That sounds um, it's so exciting. I think uh, any any company who's got that kind of community to walk into as well, um, especially from the start, it's just it's just amazing. And uh, I read obviously online as well. You've got an office in uh, Silicon Valley, and you've got one in the in Israel as well. Um, just tell me a little bit more why why the two locations.
1: Yeah, uh, another good question. So. You know, I, I mentioned this earlier, this kind of connective t- tissue idea. Um, you know, our firm was really started to be that bridge from, from really talented uh, Israeli entrepreneurs to get them over and land and expand in the U.S., really find a foothold here, find their private market fit, and then expand geographically, you know, beyond the U.S. once that sort of fit is established. And so I think being in Silicon Valley, you know, being close to so many exciting other startups, being up close to so many investors that are going to be leading, you know, the series A's, the series B's and growth investors in our portfolio companies, it just kind of puts us in the best position to kind of be that, that, that anchor, uh, you know, here in the United States. But I should also mention, you know, we have, we have people uh, spread around the country. So we have, you know, some people in Utah, we have some people in New York, we have people kind of all over the place. And now, as we sit here kind of at the end of 2022... You know we're obviously a lot more distributed than we were three or four years ago. So, um, but I think that the the being centered here in Silicon Valley is sort of the perfect place for us to kind of be that that sort of landing point for companies coming over to the U.S. And, and it's because of kind of our our proximity to you know other investors, to other innovative
0: startups, to potential customers. I think it just kind of gives us the best uh, possible positioning. No for sure. No that sounds um sounds very exciting again. I think it's a it's a great location for for one. But so now I want to I want to switch this back because this is the this is the question I've been dying to ask. And what are the key drivers that you are looking for when assessing an early stage investments?
1: Oh that's a good question. Um, I think that there are a few things. I mean I think that you know first and foremost when we're thinking about when you're a seed stage investor You know, I think the most critical thing is the team itself. You know, certainly you need an idea that's validated, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I think first and foremost, you know, we look at the cooperative dynamics, the track record of the team, you know, have they spent time together in a work context previously? What's going to be their separation of responsibilities? You know, how do their specific backgrounds uh, really tie into what their roles are going to be within the startup? Um, And we also rely heavily on references. So this is another reason why, you know, the importance of having boots on the ground in such a big community in Tel Aviv is really a strength and really a benefit to us is it allows us to kind of do, you know, references and really get to know people, you know, spending time with people and kind of getting to know what makes them tick. So I'd say first and foremost, you know, it's, it's kind of understanding the team and understanding why they're particularly well suited, you know, to the problem that they're trying to solve. You know, my favorite investments are always the one where a team has lived a problem, you know, in the past and, the company that they're trying to build is trying to address you know, a problem that they've experienced. I think many times those are kind of the most compelling and often the most successful stories. So that's kind of first and foremost. Um, you know, a- after the team, you know, I think we want, to, we want to look for people that have big visions, You know, people that are addressing big problems in cybersecurity, but they're doing it in a way that you know, we think could be sort of a big company. So if you look at companies like Axonius, Orca, Twistlock in our portfolio, you know, they may have started with sort of a relatively narrow scope, but there was always this vision of what it could be, you know, one day if kind of everything goes according to plan. And so we, we're looking for people that kind of have big visions. Um, we're looking for people that have a lot of motivation. I mean, it's a highly competitive, highly difficult, uh, incredibly stressful job to be a, a startup founder. And you really need people that have stamina, that have passion, that have grit, you know, competitiveness, and really that vision that I alluded to. Um I think you need people that um, that can kind of articulate that vision. I think this is important as well. So, you know, oftentimes um, startup founders aren't necessarily, maybe they don't have a lot of experience kind of selling, right? And so it can be difficult for them to sort of translate what's in their mind or what their vision is into a way that's really tangible. The customers can really, you know, grab onto and get excited about. And so people that can really kind of articulate that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously a, a big addressable market, I think that kind of goes without saying, but we rely a lot on our venture advisory board to kind of help inform us, you know, what the CISO community, what the InfoSec community, what the problems are that they're, you know, trying to solve, what are sort of the areas that are right for disruption or right for innovation. And so we're kind of trying to balance, you know, the, the feedback or the information we're getting from our advisory board here in the U.S. with the ideas that we have, you know coming from israel
0: and when those kind of two things meet you know that's when we get really excited yeah no no for sure and you mentioned a couple of things are about kind of people like right? there's a lot of stuff that you need to look for in an individual in an entrepreneur uh to make that investment as well so talk to me a little bit about what you look for in entrepreneurs
1: yeah so i think that i'll i'll, I'll go back to sort of some of those buzzwords, words and it's a little it's it's a little uh ephemeral it's a little hard to define because it's you know part of what i think what makes the best venture capital investors is people that have just done it for a long time and have a lot of pattern recognition you know you can kind of see traits in people you can kind of see you know personality aspects you know very quickly and just a, in just a few number of meetings but again i think it comes down to you know stamina uh, passion you know grit uh determination you know competitiveness. And kind of that big vision, uh, I think, and and the ability to kind of clearly articulate, you know, be customer facing, you know, to an extent, obviously, we'll help you with that. And that's what we do a lot, you know, on the customer side, business development side, and you're eventually going to hire a sales leader. But at the beginning, you know, it's really going to be a founder led sales motion. And so it's really important to be able to kind of be that customer facing person or have somebody on your founding team that can kind of play that role. And to be able to kind of articulate what that vision is, but I think that those are kind of the most important things. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it's an incredibly stressful, incredibly difficult journey, and if 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 it takes a really unique, I think, personality type to be well suited to to managing kind of the emotional roller coaster of being a founder, um, I like to think that part of our job as investors is to you know kind of be. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not life coaches, but uh, I don't know, like, like, sh- like shoulders, right? For, for founders to kind of lean on. And so when people get too excited, you know, it's kind of our job to bring them back down to earth a little bit. When people get too low, it's our job to kind of build them back up. And I think to, to have that kind of personality where you can kind of maintain a pretty even keel, um, but still kind of maintain all of those aspects that I mentioned earlier, you know, stamina, passion, grit, competitiveness, vision, et cetera it takes a, it takes a unique, a unique person. So I think that those are the things that, you know, it's a little hard to identify, you know, in the first meeting, but after you talk to people, you get to know them, you spend some time with them in
0: person, you can start to kind of see that taking shape. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And it's, uh, it's obviously an exciting journey going through it with all these entrepreneurs as well. The crazy journey from, from seed to leaders, uh, of course, uh, is a yeah, so yeah. motto. So, um, Tell me a little bit about it. You mentioned there, obviously, going through the process with entrepreneurs. Um, what's it like going through due diligence and what do you look for uh, when going through that with, with entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, so I think there's there's sort of two components of it. You know, one is sort of the team component and one is, you know, the idea of validation component. So on the team component, you know, like any job interview, right? There's, you know, some back channel references. We're trying to get a, a sense for what people are like to work with, both people that have worked below them and above them and as peers, So we're trying to get a sense for like what's somebody like in kind of a work context. We're trying to get a sense for what's somebody like, you know, in a stressful situation, you know, how to kind of people respond to different challenges. No different really than, you know, any kind of uh, interview you were doing for, for a normal job. But we also like to spend a lot of time with the team, both personally, you know, inside the office, outside of the office, you know, go have a meal with somebody, get to know them on a personal level. These are going to be people that we're going to be working with, you know, for the next three, five, seven years of our lives. And so I think you know, as important as it is to find a, a, a founder and vice versa from a founder's perspective, as important as it is to find a, an investor partner, you know, from just a business perspective, it's also important to find people that you like working with, you know, and that you like spending time with. And so I think you can't discount that as well. So there's a real kind of get to know you phase, you know, of kind of building a relationship with founders that I think is, is really critical. And, uh, and then I think, you know, obviously on the idea validation standpoint, you know, we rely really heavily on our venture advisory board. We have an amazing team in Israel that does a lot of primary research, so market sizing, competitive analysis, you know, landscaping. What are the other players? Who's established vendors? You know, kind of like when Gartner or D1 or Forrester, one of these companies does kind of their market maps. You know, we do a lot of that research, market sizing. So what's going to be in TAM for something like this over time? And so we kind of blend those two things together. You know, we, we really need feedback from the the customer community the CISOs here in the United States that say, this is a real problem that needs solving. You know, this is a top five priority for me. If this existed tomorrow, I would love to POC it. You know, these are the kind of things that we love to hear. And then at the same time, you know, we need to get comfort around, you know, the founder's background, you know, their drive, their motivations
0: and what they're like personally, what they're like to work with yeah no for sure no it sounds um again it sounds cool going for that process but so i want to go into the next topic michael i think because uh, a lot of my network and a lot of the listeners on this side will be either the go to market or the leadership style uh, individuals maybe based in the us or, or around the world so what is the benefit of joining a venture capital backed startup
1: so in the sense of if you were if you were um like a BP sales or a chief marketing officer is that what you mean what's what's sort of the benefit of joining
0: Yeah, I I just mean in general. I mean, anybody who wants to join a startup rather than, say, a a public vendor, um, yes, the feedback side as well.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, fundamentally it comes down to uh, personality traits a little bit and then kind of risk tolerance. So I think that, you know, the earlier you join a startup, uh, the potential upside, financially at least, is is much, much higher, but there's also certainly more risk, right? So if you're going to join an established vendor, a publicly traded cybersecurity company, you know, you kind of have the benefit of full information, you know, when you're doing that and you know, your upside might be somewhat limited, but, but so is your downside. So there's sort of just a little bit of a risk reward trade-off. So I think people that are, uh, have a little bit higher risk tolerance, a little bit more comfortable kind of building a little bit more comfortable kind of working with uncertainty, a little bit more comfortable being creative, uh, problem solving, wearing a lot of different hats, I think the benefits, you know, from my point of view, I, I'm biased, obviously, in the industry that I work in, you know, I work, I work at seed stage BC where, so it's very, very kind of similar. So I kind of have my own risk tolerance, but I think that it's just sort of a function of, you know, that trade-off of how comfortable you are kind of with that risk. But I think the upsides to it are tremendous. Um, you know, I think the ability to join something at the ground floor, close to the ground floor, feel like you're really working directly with the management team. Know, like, you know, you're in the room where it happens, you know, so to speak, where your voice really matters and every decision you make and every action you take, you know, has direct impact on the company. I think you can't really get that, you know, in, in most large companies, certainly in most publicly traded companies, but you can at a venture-backed startup. And so I think that people that are energized by that challenge, you know, I think are people that, that
0: really end up enjoying it and doing really, really well. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, it's always interesting, even from my side on the on the recruitment standpoint, when you're looking for individuals who's kind of that kind of real grit and determination to go into a startup, a VC or PE backed, then the version of the individuals who don't want to do that and just stay on the, the public side where it's a bit more safer and, and they get the RSUs and everything along those lines. So I always say there's two types of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'd be curious,
0: Elliot, like, I mean, I think in some ways there's a lot of similarities between
1: the type of profile of a person that would want to go work for a very early, like series A startup, and the type of person that makes for a good founder. So I'd be curious to know from your point of view, like what are some personality traits or some characteristics of people you think that are well suited to working at, you know, VC back vendors or early stage startups?
0: For sure. I think um, I think one of the key points as well is, have they done a similar thing before? Um, because... Yeah. I think once you, especially when going through a recruitment process, you're asking the questions for these individuals, if they haven't done anything like this before and they say they want to do it when they get into that role, it's a lot harder than they think. So definitely look for that kind of experience in early stage, even if it was right back in their early career. So they actually have an understanding of what it is. And again, it goes back to what you said as well about the motivation, the grit, the grind. Have they been a top performer at certain areas again or even have they built out certain regions from scratch and there might be in a larger organization but have they built out a region from complete scratch with no marketing help or anything on those lines as well so it's just really digging into the fine details of the individuals that you want to get to the organization and especially on the sales side you need that real grit and determination yeah
1: for sure a lot of similarities though i think it's interesting yep
0: no, no, for sure. And um, I think, uh, yeah, that, that's always an interesting topic for me because I do, I do work with public vendors, uh, some of the biggest in the industry, but then also the the small ones as well. A couple are based out of Israel, actually. So it's uh, it's definitely an interesting uh, proposition for sure. Now, I guess I want to kind of switch it back. I think this is one of the main questions that a lot of the listeners, especially maybe director of, of of maybe application security or things on those lines, who will be listening to this podcast. What advice to entrepreneurs can you give to actually gain investment from a company like Wild Ventures? Oh, gosh. Um, So advice for
1: a potential founding team, you know, looking for VC investment. You know, I think... Also, a couple of things. So one, you know, ideally, you know, identify a real gap and be able to articulate how that narrow gap can kind of expand over time. So I think the mistake that a lot of, that I see a lot of founders make when they come to pitch is they either pitch, you know, very narrow feature. That would be something that, you know, I could see like a CrowdStrike or Sentinel One or somebody, you know, buying is almost like an aqua hire um, and they don't kind of articulate where they can take it over the next five years, potentially, or, they come and they pitch something that's so broad, you know, that there's almost no focus to it whatsoever. And there's no kind of concept of what the MVP or the minimal you know, viable product is gonna be. So I think that that most of the time people make mistakes in one of those two directions, either it's too narrowly focused and there's sort of no long-term vision or it's too broad and you kind of get lost in the, you know, this this doesn't really seem feasible or where would you start? And They're kind of not really able to articulate that. So I think that whatever sector you go into, you know, being able to really clearly explain what the problem you're trying to solve is, who you're trying to solve it for, and how you're trying to do it. I mean, it sounds overly simplistic, but I think a lot of people just aren't able to really clearly articulate that in a few sentences, right? What's the pain point you're addressing? You know, who's the buyer? Who's, who's, who's experiencing this pain, right? And then how are you going to solve it in a differentiated way from the other companies that are already out there? And be able to explain, you know, this is where we would start. This is what the MVP could potentially look like. This is what, you know, inputs or tech stack I would need to get the telemetry. I need to do X, Y, or Z. You know, this is how it could potentially grow over time. Being able to explain that, I think first and foremost, is really critically important. The other thing is the more you can tie, you know, your background and your skill set into the problem that you're trying to solve, I think the more compelling it becomes. You know, if you're somebody that has experienced this problem yourself. Or if you're somebody that's worked at a company that was trying to solve this problem that couldn't, or if you're somebody that, you know, solved this problem, but in a services way, and you think you have kind of a product angle for how to do it better, you know, those are kind of, I think, really compelling stories. Why are you as an individual, you know, well-suited to solve this this pain point that you're articulating? And so if you can kind of tie those stories together, you know, here's the problem, here's who it's for, here's how we're going to do it, here's why I'm the right person to do it. Um, again, it sounds overly simplistic, but I think that that's probably the best advice I can give people. You know, if you're able to do that in a pretty succinct pitch, you'll get people's attention.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And it is about, it's about capturing people's attention as well. And I love your explanation there of having that kind of real background in something and finding, as you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, if somebody has experienced something and they're coming into a pitch with saying, this is the, this is the solution to the problem. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to ignore, isn't it?
1: yeah absolutely and you know that's it's not always going to be the case and it's not a prerequisite for success you know i definitely have examples in my career where i've seen companies be incredibly successful that didn't necessarily you know live or experience that pain point themselves but they identified it and they found the right people to kind of help them you know express it but um it certainly helps you know if you've got if you've got that kind of experience in your resume you can point to for why you got excited about this idea and why you think others should be excited about it too I think that definitely gets investors' attention.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I guess um, I want to flip it now a little bit on Wild Ventures. Um, so a lot of people who I speak to in the industry actually would like to get into or work for a VC or a PE firm. So anybody who's got experience within the industry, what advice would you give to people to, number one, break down the door to get into, into this industry? Uh, or how would you give them kind of advice to step up into something like what you're doing right now? Yeah, so I guess I can kind of talk about my background a little
1: bit and kind of how I ended up here is maybe a helpful place to start. So, and kind of walk backwards. So, most recently, uh, before joining in the summer of 2019, I was part of the investment banking division at Goldman uh, here in San Francisco. So, pretty typical path, I think, from working in finance or investment banking, you know, into venture. But I think what's perhaps more interesting is, you know, before that, before business school, I actually worked for early stage prop tech or real estate tech startup. And you know, I joined when there were, you know, very few employees. It was very small. It was a bootstrap company. And I think having that kind of dual experience of you know working for a startup myself, seeing what that's like as kind of not being a founder myself, but being you know very, very early employee, be able to kind of understand what that's like and empathize with that experience with founders and then be able to kind of marry that with you know my finance experience that I got in business school. And at Goldman, I think kind of set me up, you know, for the, for the job that I have now. And so again, it goes back to, you know, how can you tie bits and pieces of your own experience and your own resume into what you would want to be doing, you know, within the venture community. And there's a lot of different ways to get involved. So, you know, I talked about all the different buckets of our value add program, but whether it's, you know, customers business development, whether it's marketing, whether it's human resources, whether it's the CISO and Residence program, if you look around the world, I think you'll see more and more more and more VC firms starting to build out these sort of functional leadership roles, you know, marketing partners becoming more and more common, you know, partners that are kind of leading an HR function for the whole portfolio is becoming more and more common. Things like a CISO in residence program becoming more and more common. So I think you're starting to see, you know, as VC firms themselves mature, building out these sort of functional areas. So it's really about, I think, finding, you know, those commonalities between, what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, you know, where kind of your background fits, and then being able to kind of sell that to a VC firm as they're expanding. And keep in mind too, I guess the other piece of advice I would give is, you know, similarly, like when new startups announce a funding round, that's often the best time to reach out about a potential job, because you can imagine that they're going to be putting that money to use. And one of the ways they're going to be doing it is hiring. Same goes for VC firms. So when they announce a new fund, um, you know, often that can be a good chance to reach out try to connect and you know see if perhaps they're expanding their
0: platform in a way that that kind of fits your background no that's awesome that's awesome that's going to be very helpful to a lot of uh, a lot of people because i get asked that question probably i don't know maybe 10 15 times a year so uh, <laughs> at least i've got an answer now michael appreciate that <laughs> yeah yeah feel free to point people my, my way so happy to chat with people about that if it's helpful yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but look, no, that's, uh, that's everything for today, Michael. I think we've gone through a lot of really, really interesting topics. And I'm really honestly thankful for you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Elliot. It was a blast and uh, happy to come back on anytime. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. Thank you, Mike. Thank you.